Thank you, Laura. Very fitting reminder as we come to Psalm 145 together this morning. I'd encourage you to take your Bible and turn with me to Psalm 145. We go through life with a variety of things kind of catching our attention or catching our eye, and uh, at times we go through this process when we see something and we enjoy it of trying to get others to see the same thing. I can think of this on multiple levels. I'm sure you can too, whether you've been the one pointing something out to someone or the recipient where someone is trying to point something out to you. Uh, It could be just as simple as uh, driving near the end of the day and watching the sun go down and uh, God has just once again beautifully painted the sky and uh, you are commenting, hey, look at that. And uh, maybe you're saying, look at where the orange turns to pink and uh, where the clouds kind of meet there and how the sunlight, the ray is kind of breaking through and you're pointing out different aspects of just what has captured your attention just as the sun sets as it does each day. I think of it what occasionally happens in our family, even in the brief drive from church to our house where Uh, The way I'm wired and a couple others in the car are wired, we will see a deer and point out to the rest of the family, hey, look over there. Now, I have to be careful if I'm driving, Uh, but, you know, if we're stationary, we go through this process, and maybe you've been through it either as the communicator or receiver, where you're like, no, not there. You you see the big tree right there, and the one that's just behind it, where it kind of wise this way, and then there's this thing falling down, and if you look right there, uh, you know, like trying to get them to see this, and they're like, nope, how can you not see this? Uh, Maybe you've even gone through the process of saying, look, come over here, stand right here, and you're grabbing their head, and you're focusing, right? And you're saying, look, it's right there, can't you see it? And maybe they do, and maybe they don't, right? You know, when we go to the Psalms, when we go to God's Word, the Psalms take us in the distractions of life, the struggles of life, the busyness of life, the ups and downs of life, the confusion of life, and says, stand right here. Take your head. Focus right here. God deserves your praise. God deserves your praise. This Psalm does that in incredible ways. In fact, as I was thinking about this opening illustration, my mind went back to my childhood years. I particularly remembered at my grandparents' house, although I'm sure it happened at home too, but they they had some different kaleidoscopes, right? You remember kaleidoscopes? I thought, do the kids in here know what kaleidoscopes are? I don't know. Um, Where, you know, you turn something, whether it's, uh, you know, a cheaper one that's got like a metal or cardboard tube with some beads in the end that are different colors, or maybe it's got a marble stuck on the end, and you turn it, and you hold it up to the light, and you just see this brilliant display of color through the lens. I remember as a kid going around like, look at it this way, isn't this cool? And others do the same thing and say, oh, look at it now, because you've got just this brilliant display of colors inside this kaleidoscope. You know, you could keep turning it and turning it and turning it, and focusing it at this light or that light, indoors or outdoors. And the possibilities are almost infinite as to how the colors are going to be arranged in this brilliant display as you look through this tube. And maybe it's a poor analogy when we look at the incomprehensible material that is in front of us this morning. 
But as God works through David as psalmist in Psalm 145, there is this brilliant presentation of who God is. In fact, it's one of those texts that is incredibly humbling as a communicator of God's word because we are only going to scratch the surface this morning and this evening. All honesty, I think we could spend weeks, probably spend the rest of September into October. I won't put you through that because I think even if we did that, we wouldn't do it justice. And I hope that God, through his word, through his spirit, will take the text of this scripture and imprint it on your mind for this week so that you can be that blessed man in Psalm 1 who's meditating day and night, going, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. How does that show up in my life today? Or the Lord is gracious, full of compassion, slow to anger, of great mercy. I need that truth. For he upholdeth all that fall. Go, man, Lord, thank you. Wonder, love, and praise that we talked about. That God, through his spirit, would just keep taking this text over and over and over in your mind so that you are driven by this multifaceted, deep, beautiful psalm to say, God, I just want to live for you. God, I just want to praise you. I don't want to get distracted. I want this song to go, boom, right here. Look at who your God is. There are two primary thoughts in this psalm. The first is that we're going to praise God as sovereign king in verses 1 through 9. That's the thought that we're going to look at this morning. This evening, Lord willing, we come back. We're going to pick up in verse 10 through verse 20 before kind of a concluding statement and verses 20 and 21, actually. And we're going to look at the second thought. Praise God, not just as sovereign king, but praise God as gracious creator. As gracious creator. Because while you get a vision for his power and majesty and authority as king, you don't want to miss the fact that this king comes alongside and says, you're struggling, let me help you. You have needs, let me provide for you. Because of this wonderfully kind disposition of our incredible God. This psalm, as many of you may have in your Bibles, is a psalm of David. It's titled as such, and in fact, it's interesting. It is the only psalm in the psalms that begins with this label, psalm, if you were to look at the Hebrew word. And that word very literally just means praise. Praise. It's like, here's the response that you and I ought to walk away from this text with to go, praise. God deserves praise because of who he is. I mean, over and over, you're going to see it. Perhaps you'll get tired of it, but the psalmist, David, is going to give repeated commands and calls to praise God. He's going to give you reasons to. He's going to point to the character of God, and the response is to say that praise is always deserved. Praise is always right. And so let's dive into verses 1 through 9 as we consider this first thought. Praise God as the sovereign ruler or king. You look there with me in verse 1. He says, I will extol thee, my God, O king. I want you to notice with me first as we come to verses 1 through 3 that we should praise him personally. Praise him 
personally in verses 1 through 3. And we could say it this way, praise him personally because he is great. I kind of laugh at some of the words. You'll see this as we work away. Praise him for this because he is great. Praise him because he is good. Praise him because he is gracious. You'll hear that as we work our way through. And I'm like, those are really simple words. Like, God is great. But I'm like, how do you begin to describe unfathomable immensity and power other than just say, he's great. (laughs) Like, we go back to a very simple word because of the magnitude of who he is to say, praise him personally because he's great. If you glance through verses 1 through 3, over and over, you're going to see first-person personal pronouns used, where David says, I will, I will, I will. David, the king, is saying, here's what I'm going to do. He doesn't view himself as having reached such a position of authority or having such power personally that he's not going to recognize God is that much greater than he is. And so David personally is going to say, I will. In fact, again, you notice the different words describing aspects of his praise. I will extol. I will bless. I will bless. I will praise. So we consider this idea of praising him personally because he's great. Notice with me that he deserves praise presently. He deserves praise presently. He says, I will extol thee, O God, my king. There's this immediate commitment on behalf of David to praise God right now. Extol meaning to exalt, to lift high. To go, let's hold God up high and say, I'm going to draw attention to him. I'm going to focus on him because he is worthy. Again, David in his authority, in his leadership as king, in his accomplishments as king, could be inclined to lift himself up. That is what mankind's heart so often does. Look at me. Look at what I've accomplished. Look at what I've done. People should recognize the sinful propensity of human heart is self-exaltation. And yet David's saying, I don't want to lift myself up. I want to lift God up. I want to extol God. He is worthy of praise presently. As he continues to praise God as the sovereign ruler who is great, we say he not only deserves praise presently, but secondly, he deserves praise eternally. Right? We can kind of run past this and go, well, yeah, of course, I know that. But again, it says it multiple times in the text, both in what we see this morning as well as what we'll look at this evening, where he says, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. In other words, this is not just contingent on David's present circumstance. You ever been there? You ever recognized your fallibility, your moodiness, if you will? Man, I had a great day. Thank you, God. Man, church was great. Thank you, God. Man, this happened to work. Praise God. And then the next day, things aren't so good. The next Sunday, it's like, oh. Does it matter? Did God change? God's worthy of our praise, not just presently, but eternally. To say, God, my my life, all of it and beyond it, is to be about praising you. Again, he's going to reiterate eternal praise at the end of verse 2, at the end of verse 13, into verse 21. I mean, this theme shows up over and over and over again in the Psalms, which is why I hope we walk away with this idea of going, praise is my purpose. 
because God is always worthy. Praise is my purpose because God is always worthy. I just told you on Wednesday nights, uh, we've been looking at Daniel on Wednesday nights, but I've been reading through the minor prophets, okay? You read Habakkuk, and Habakkuk looks and goes, you know what? It doesn't matter what's going on. It doesn't matter if the trees bring forth their fruit. It doesn't matter how life is going. I will praise God. That ought to be our mindset as people who have been created by God. And if we are believers, Christians, those who've been redeemed by God, as we continue looking at this idea of praising God as sovereign ruler, as king, we say he deserves praise presently. He deserves praise eternally. But then third, we're going to say he deserves praise continually. I've already entered into this thought a little bit, but the psalm bears it out directly in the text that we're given, so I want you to see it. Because in verse 1, he said, okay, I'm going to do this, and I'll do this forever. And then in verse 2, he gives it more of an iterative idea, where he says, every day will I bless thee. So in other words, this isn't just some kind of conceptual ascent for David. You go, well, yeah, I'm going to praise God. I praise him right now. After all, it's for us. It's Sunday. We're in church. It's the work of eternity, so we're going to praise him forevermore. So yeah, I'll praise him. And then my Monday morning when we're in traffic or work is a pain or kids aren't obeying or school is hard or whatever it may be, what happened? David's like, you know what? This is not just a Sabbath day thing for us, a Sunday thing. This isn't just a doctrinal, eternal kind of thing. This is a continual thing, not an intermittent or occasional thing. Every day will I bless thee. The word bless is another fascinating word for praise where that is definitively the idea of I'm going to bless, I'm going to praise, but it also carries the idea of I'm going to kneel before. This is David. Yes, a man after God's own heart, certainly, but a pretty powerful individual who's saying, you know what, I am going to exalt God and praise him with this humility of disposition, kneeling before, saying, every day, God, every day, God, I will praise you continually. Not just on the good days, but on the hard days. Not just on the calendar days set aside for worship, but on the work and everyday life kind of days. If we were to go back and say, so talk about your week. What was Tuesday like? How about Thursday? I mean, Friday has to be good because it's the end of the work week, right? Maybe not. But if you were to analyze, could you go, you know what, every day I praise him not because of my consistency, but by grace, recognizing he's worthy. What about this next week? Will it be your theme to go every day? I mean, like this would be one great thought, just to walk away, praise him continually. Every day will I bless thee, every day. God, I don't feel like it today. God, my problems and circumstances seem so large. But every day, I'll bless you because you're worthy. We've looked at this idea of praising God as sovereign ruler. We've said he deserves praise presently. He deserves praise eternally. He deserves praise continually. But then can I remind you from verse 3, he deserves praise greatly. Greatly. I wish, again, I could put this in some kind of better word for you, but look at what the text says. Great is the Lord, 
In fact, at the end, it's going to point out the fact his greatness is unsearchable. So when we say he deserves praise greatly, we could say it this way. He deserves praise greatly in who he is. One of the reasons we praise God greatly is because God himself is great. That, that word is immense. It's broad in its applications. Like He's great in his knowledge. He's great in his power. He's great in his grace. He's great in his providence. He, he's great in his care and his love. In all that God is, you can take that general word and go, he's great. We can look at individuals, and I think about our church family, and some of you are very gifted in different areas. And we might go, man, they are great in their love. They are great in their teaching. They they are great in this skill. Those are wonderful things. But we don't look at any of us and go, you know what, across the board, Every area, they're great. But do you realize in all that God is, every attribute you could consider, God is great in every way. He makes this point repeatedly through the scriptures. You remember his questioning of Job in Job 38 to 42? Where because of the difficulties of life, Job has finally started to say, you know what, I want my day in court with God. And so God just starts to ask Job, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? That's a tough one to answer. And Job has to begin to realize, look at who, how great God is. God makes the same point through the prophet Isaiah a number of times. I think of Isaiah 40 where he paints a beautiful picture of creation. But think about it in terms of the familiar words in Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts and my ways higher than your ways. God says, there's no comparison here. You don't get me because I'm that much bigger than you. My thoughts, in other words, his method of deciding and his ways, his method of doing, The way God thinks things through and the way God executes what he has planned is completely different than us because he is so much greater than us. It's the same thing that Paul makes the point of in Romans 11, 33 to 36. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his ways and his judgments past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord or who hath been his counselor? Who hath given to him and it shall be recompensed to him again? It's like, so who has God figured out and can understand why he does what he does and knows his thoughts? Who's actually given something to God and God now has an IOU to that person? It's like, you don't understand God. He's great. He has no need of anything from us. Here we're told in Psalm 145 verse 3, his greatness is unsearchable. Praise him greatly because you can't figure him out. We struggle with that. We like to try to, at least some of us do, like to try to figure things out, like wrap our mind around and go, well, you know, uh, we can do that over and over and over with God, and you'll never figure him out, and that is a good thing because it proves he's bigger than our brain. His greatness is unsearchable. Praise him greatly in who he is. But secondly, praise him greatly in how we praise Praise him greatly in how we praise. Again, look at the text. He is greatly to be praised. 
This is not a token commitment. This is not occasional. Right? Think about it this way. Does the quality and quantity of your praise match the character of our God? I typed that earlier this week. I don't like that question. Because my answer is no. And I'm pretty confident I can work on it for the rest of my life. And I don't know that I can praise him consistently enough, loudly enough, knowledgeably enough, publicly enough to go, I did it. But somehow, God delights in taking us in our weakness, in our sinfulness, in our unfaithfulness, and says, praise me anyway. I would encourage us all, whether it's as we're gathered together corporately and we're singing, even if it's a song maybe you don't know or maybe you don't like, to praise Him greatly. Because great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. To go home and go, you know what? I'm really tired. Life, I mean, I look at the next week and I just, oh, I can't get there. To go, great is the Lord. Greatly to be praised. God, would you give me grace? Would you help me to greatly praise you? Right? To greatly praise you because you are worthy. I mean, the text here from David is very clear. He is greatly to be praised. So we praise God as sovereign ruler by praising him personally. He is great. Secondly, we praise him intergenerationally. Intergenerationally in verses 6, 4 through 9. Why? Praise him intergenerationally because he is good. He's good. In spite of the greatness of his being as sovereign king, he is also good. In fact, what David is doing here, he's calling for praise that transcends one generation. I have a feeling that probably meant more for David as a king than it means for us. I mean, we might get it as believers and say we desire it, but, you know, when we talk about kingdoms, we often talk about this line. I mean, even today, the news tends to be fascinated with royal people and go, well, who's next in line? And who's next in line? And who's next in line? And how does this continue on? And here's who the, gen- uh, the king or queen was three generations ago. Because this intergenerational idea is very important. But when David looks at God as king, he says, you are eternal king. You are a great king. You are a powerful king. This is something that needs to go on generation after generation after generation after generation because you deserve praise. Again, human kings rise and fall. They live and die, but God's role as king lasts forever. David points to God's actions a number of ways in this section. Verse 4, your works, your mighty acts. Verse 5, your glorious honor, your majesty, your wondrous works. Verse 6, your terrible, it's used in a good way, acts, your greatness. Verse 7, here's your great goodness and your righteousness. Verse 8, you're gracious, you're full of compassion, you're slow to anger, you have great mercy. Verse 9, you're good to all, you have tender mercy. I mean, like just think about all those different aspects of God that are found in verses 4 through 9. And that's why, again, we're just kind of scratching the surface because we could just benefit wonderfully 
by focusing our minds on each of those individually. Nonetheless, we need to keep moving for sake of time. So we look at this idea of praising God intergenerationally because he is good. First, notice the general statement that's given in verse 4. The general statement. One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. Much like the early chapters of Deuteronomy as Moses rehearses what God has done in the past, or like the familiar call in Psalm 78 to teach to future generations God's statutes and what he has done that they might set their hope in God. Here, David as the psalmist says, we need to have this praise-filled communication of God's works to future generations. We would do well to think of it this way. Our theology is communicated not just by lecture, but by life. Our theology is not communicated just by not just by lecture, but by life. We, we talk about what's taught and what's caught. Both are true. And we often say that much more is caught than is taught. I wonder what it looks like in my life and in yours if there are other, the younger generation could look and go, you know what? They think God's amazing. Or, well, you know, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, my teacher, they think God's okay. I mean, they'll talk about him a little bit on Sunday. But that's it. Or is our life lived in such a way that what is taught with our lips is caught by our lives? Where it's like one generation is communicating to another, look at who God is. One commentator on this passage, name is Alan Ross, says it this way, praise helps preserve faith. Praise gives us a reason to believe God. To go, look at God's goodness. These people believed God. And they've, they've seen Him at work in life. Where it's not just, okay, I'm, I'm reading it in a book that God gave a couple thousand years ago. But I'm seeing it in life. What does your life and words Communicate to God about future generations. Keep in mind, the context of Psalm 145 is not just for parents. So for everybody here, say every adult, whether young or not so young, whether with a family or on your own, what's being communicated to future generations by your life and your lips about praising God, about who God is. And I'm afraid oftentimes our lives can be marked by complaint, by a lack of joy, by a pessimism, by a preoccupation with the news, by fear, and on and on it can go instead of going, you know what? I'm trusting God. I'm praising God. In the midst of difficulty, God gives peace. God gives joy. God gives grace. Stay after it. Things can be hard, but God is great and God is good. Praise God intergenerationally. He's good. He begins with this general statement, but secondly, he expresses a personal commitment. A personal commitment here from David. He's not just saying, hey, everybody should do this. Kind of like me talking to the church as a whole. Right? 
This isn't just some categorical statement for people to hide behind and go, yeah, we should do that. One generation. I sure hope they get that in Sunday school next week. David personally says, here's what I'm doing. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and thy wondrous works. This word speak caught my attention in study this week. There are two aspects to the word that show up in the way different translations handle them. This word speak, one aspect is meditation and the other aspect is communication. Meditation and communication. Have you ever caught yourself thinking about something so much that it just kind of comes out? I'm guilty of it, but I like to give people who work here a hard time about it too. I will walk by their office, sometimes their classroom, and they're talking to themselves. You okay? But it's just their mind is so intently focused that it starts to come out. I think that's a good picture for what's going on here. When I look at your majesty, your wondrous works, I'm thinking about it so much that it's just kind of coming out. It's kind of like when you're in the car and you realize how God has blessed, how God has given grace, how God has given strength, and nobody else is around, and you kind of scare yourself. And you go, praise God. Nobody heard. But your mind was there, and so your mouth followed. Because as Matthew 12, Jesus says in verse 34, that simple truth, it's out of the abundance of our heart that we speak. Like where our hearts go is going to come out of us, which goes to what I challenged myself with earlier. If my heart is just going, well, here's the problems and here's my complaints and here's my concerns, what's going to come out of me? Probably not good. But if I can focus my heart on who God is, what should come out is praise. Whereby you almost catch yourself. I, I hope you've had this experience where you're with unbelievers, maybe at work, maybe in your neighborhood, maybe with your family, and like you're talking about something, and like your response is, well, you know, praise God. Here's what, and you're like, oh, I'm not supposed to say that in this context. No, you are. It's okay. It's right. It's good. We need to keep moving here. David's saying, praise God intergenerationally. He's good. He began with this general statement. He expressed it as a personal commitment. Third, it's also a communal requirement or community requirement, something that's done all together. As he gives this corporate call for praise, notice it's done publicly. Men shall speak of thy might, of thy terrible. The idea of terrible meaning it evokes both fear and amazement, right? Men's camping is in the bulletin. You can come, be your man. You go see the fire, both fear and amazement, Okay. That's pretty cool. I respect that and enjoy that. He says, men will declare with this sense of, of fear and amazement, look at what God has done. All men should do this. All people should do this. It's done publicly within this communal requirement. But again, it's done personally because David says, and I will declare it too. David's never letting himself off the hook. I will declare that greatness. All men should do this. I'll do it too. I have a note for you that it is spoken. It is declared. This is not something where we remain silent and communicate our praise only to God. This ought to challenge us in our American Christianity. Sometimes we're like, well, my Christianity is kind of a private matter. I, I praise God. I talk to him. I thank him. That's not what this psalm is saying. Tell people. 
communicate it, articulate it. God's worthy of public, corporate, intergenerational praise because he is great. As we continue looking at this idea of a communal requirement, it's not just done publicly, but it's done enthusiastically. It's done enthusiastically. Sometimes in our doctrinal rigidity or our personal insecurity, we communicate our praise very quietly and calmly. And that's okay, right? God's worthy of quiet, calm praise. But the idea in this text is different. He says, verse 7, they shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness. You know, we can look at our own lives and my goodness, your goodness might be occasional, sporadic, not all that good, if we're honest. But God is completely good. His goodness can be defined as truly great. And so we're saying here that this communal praise should be done enthusiastically. It's in part because of this word utter. If you were to look this word utter up in a Hebrew lexicon, it is used in context of streams that have begun to overflow and are just gushing forth. I realize this might be a negative context for some, but we had the hurricane roll through a few weeks ago, right? I drove through by here on Airport Road the next day, and you know what the water coming off the reservoir looked like? It looked like utter. <laughs> it was abundantly gushing forth, just pouring out. And here, he's speaking of the praise of God's goodness, the memory going, I remember God's great goodness, and I got to tell you about it, right? It is abundantly uttered. Can you think of any times last month, six months, 12 months, where the memory of God's great goodness I have to tell somebody. And maybe your disposition, you're not a yeller, guilty. Maybe you're quiet, but you're like, oh, and you can just sense the excitement because you have to tell someone about God's goodness. God's greatness and goodness has never changed. He's worthy of that kind of praise. Our praise should not, this communal requirement for praise should not just be done publicly and enthusiastically. Third, it should be done musically. We can see this over and over in the Psalms. We can go to the New Testament, to Ephesians 5 or Colossians 3 or even to heaven itself in the book of Revelation. But God deserves to be praised with song. And I realize for some of you, you're like, oh, I liked the thoughts until that one. Because some of us aren't musicians. Some of us aren't singers. Some of you were here when I had to lead music, like, for the first time in a long time on a Wednesday night, and I just stood there. Okay? But notice what it says. I will sing of thy righteousness. God, you not only meet the standard, you are the standard. We talk about righteousness as meeting God's standard. God is the standard. He is righteousness. And so, God, I am going to sing your praise. Yes, I'm going to speak it. I'm going to declare it. I'm going to communicate it. But I will do it musically as well. Because God has deemed fit numbers of times in his word to say the right response of praise is verbal communication. It is life application. But it is also done in song, as it is here. 
So as we gather together, we want to praise him communally, together, publicly, enthusiastically, and musically. Finally, we're going to run very quickly through verse 8. There's so much, 8 and 9, there's so much here that we could unpack. I'll leave it for you this week. Praise him personally. He is great. Praise him intergenerationally. He's good. Make an impact on the next generation to follow. But third, praise him gratefully because he is gracious. In his greatness, in his goodness, he is incredibly gracious. Before we read the verses that are in front of us, I would tell you that they echo very much the words that are spoken of about God in Exodus chapter 34. In Exodus 34, God has just come off saying, I'm going to destroy my people because of the golden calf. Their sin is incredibly serious. And Moses is pleading that God would not destroy his people. That's the context in which these truths about God were communicated there. What a wonderful reminder as we read these things here to say, you know what? God and his authority is sovereign king, could judge, could rightly destroy, but here's who he is. The Lord is gracious. He gives undeserved favor and help. He is full of compassion, not like occasionally loving. (laughs) He is full of compassion. He's slow to anger. In other words, he's not like us or many of us. He's slow to anger. There is no short fuse with God. Contrary to the depiction of so many gods who are angry and upset, that's not our God. He is of great mercy. That's that familiar word, hesed. He's faithful in this undeserved commitment towards others that shows his love. The Lord is good to some No, the Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. Not just tolerating, he's saying, I'm going to continue to show mercy. What incredible reasons to praise God. We praise God as sovereign ruler, as king. We ought to do it personally, because he's great. Intergenerationally, because he's good. And gratefully, because he is so wonderfully gracious. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it reveals you to us. And Lord, I pray that you would take the truth of this text and impress it on my heart and on the hearts of each believer here, that we would be driven to praise you every day this week and forever. Lord, I pray that you would bring this text by your spirit to our minds to consider who you are, to enjoy who you are, but then also to publicly communicate praise both to you and to those around us. Lord, we're humbled that you've loved us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.